As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Thursday, January 26th. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris here, continuing Pitcher Week, our third starting pitcher-focused episode of the week. We're picking up right around that pick 200 mark overall. So now we're rounding out kind of the bottom half of the starting rotation. Then, of course, looking at some bench options as well. A ton of ground to cover today. So no time to waste with pleasantries. I hope your day is off to a fantastic start. You know, we begin right around that Lance... McCullers range. We're talking about a group of guys that includes McCullers, Reed Detmers, Patrick Sandoval, runs all the way down to Trevor Rogers and Aaron Ashby. It has a lot of guys in it that miss time with injuries, right? This is one of the common themes of this group. You see Sonny Gray in this cluster. He's often injured, but finds a way to get to a decent number of innings. Jack Flaherty goes in this range, Andrew Heaney. Some of the guys that kind of stand out in this group are the couple guys that returned a lot of value last year because they didn't get hurt. So you got a couple options like that. The workhorses, Miles Michaelis was one of those guys. Merrill Kelly was one of those guys. You could have a bounce back candidate in Jose Barrios, Nathan Evaldi, Alex Cobb. You get a guy like Jamison Tyon going to New Park. This is a great window to look at depending on what you need. If you haven't taken on some injury risk already, there is absolutely no problem taking on some injury risk at this price point. Yeah, I'm fascinated by this tier because I want to say no thanks. This is where I begin to, I know there's that uh, that Drake meme where he's like, no, uh, no thanks, all filled up. But if you don't get someone in this tier then you're doing a pretty stars and scrubby kind of approach because it's A, a large tier, B, one of the last tiers where you have the confluence of like good performance and a like a, a role, right? Like all these guys have a role. There's nobody in this group except for maybe the very last one, Aaron Ashby, who we'll talk about. But uh, from Trevor Rogers to Lance McCullers, uh, you've got a, a, a chunk of players that have a role, uh, should get innings, and aren't coming back from injury right now other than maybe Jack Flaherty and, and Sonny Gray, but like, you know, should get over a hundred innings. It's not, it's not a group because if you start going beyond this group, 
you start being like, well, I really like, you know, uh, I don't know, Aaron Savali or Steven Matz or Hayden Wesnensky, who I really like, but how many innings are you going to get from that? So this is a group that you probably should get one out of, you know? Uh, I don't know if, if I would go uh, crazy and shop heavily in this tier because I think it's mostly filled with warts. Uh, but uh, there are definitely players to like in here, and I think you need to get at least one out of this tier. Yeah, I think at the early part of the window, Reed Detmers is pretty interesting just because of the slider that he brought back after he was demoted to AAA last year. It seemed like he was just a different pitcher from that point forward. Hitters will have seen it a little longer. They'll have had a chance to possibly adjust. So uh, the, the projections maybe haven't caught up to the pitcher he became late in the year, a 465 ERA, a 134 whip from Steamer. That seems kind of aggressive in the, the negative direction. So I think as I look at the early cluster, he's someone that I think is under-projected at least. Maybe there's some concerns that the innings, because of the six-man rotation, if the Angels stick with that, the ceiling's a little lower. But again, you're not really worried about volume in this range. So I, I, I kind of believe in what we saw from Detmers in the second half, and I'm glad it doesn't take much of a premium to get there. I feel like every year when we talk about starting pitchers, there's some version of the question, what exactly is Jack Flaherty at this stage? Like, What does he bring? He's been so injured that I don't know if we have an accurate snapshot of what his arsenal actually is at this point. He seems like a guy that's really important to watch during the spring just to see where the, the velo and spin is on his entire pitch mix because we've seen so little of him. Yeah, it was fun. One fun, fun thing about uh, Detmer slider went from a 111 slider in the first half to a 125 stuff plus slider in the second half. So he definitely made a big change there. Unfortunately, if you're looking at his overall, um, you know, stuff plus or or his overall model numbers on on my rankings or whatever, um, you'll see that uh, they aren't amazing just because it doesn't really love his other pitches. Um, so you know, you can manually upgrade. Uh, that stuff plus to something closer to 100. Uh, and then I think you're hoping for uh, good location, which might make sense. He changed his slider in his second year with that slider. Maybe he can command it better. So uh, as much as Detmers is not loved by the model, uh, I tried to push him closer to where his projections were, maybe even a little bit higher um, because there are certain things I like about what he does. Flaherty is super boomer bust for me. And one of the ways that you can see it is in his fastball stuff plus when he came back, um, you know, he had one outing where he had a 104 stuff plus and then another with a 111 and then right after the 111 and 89 stuff plus. So uh, he was pretty up and down with uh, the, the four seam fastball. And I think uh, that's pretty important for for what he's doing. Um, I'm guessing that the model calls his slider a knuckle curve. Uh, that was fairly up and down too. So uh, those are his bread and butter. And uh, if he's up and down on his bread and butter, I'm thinking I want more information. I'm not going to draft him until I know a little bit something about his strikeout rate in the spring, his velo in the spring. Uh, until then, there are other guys in this group that have similar upside um, that aren't coming off of as devastating injuries. Um, if you want somebody with a great fastball and a great secondary who's in a great park, Edward Cabrera, uh, that power change of his is is pretty amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, I, where do I have him so much further down, though? 
Why do I have him? Do I? No, I have him ahead of Jack Flaherty. I don't have Jack Flaherty high. Um, but Edward Cabrera, uh, 105 stuff plus poor locations. You're hoping for slightly better locations in his second go round of the league. Uh, there's some Arsenal tweaks he could make. Uh, he is, I think, the guy in this group that probably has the most upside. Maybe him and Detmers, maybe in McCullers if he puts together a full healthy season again. But Cabrera has, I think, maybe the most upside in this group. I'm going to shock the world what I say next, but the pitcher that I have ranked quite a bit higher than you and quite a bit higher than the market in this range is the last guy in the cluster. Yes, it is another Aaron brewer. Yes, <laughs> it is Aaron Ashby. I know you've got questions about his hold on a role in the rotation. I know with the addition of Wade Miley, there's one more guy who just seems like he could really only be a starter on that staff to help chew up some innings. Aaron Ashby had four pitches last season he was throwing that had CSWs, called strike and whiff rates, above 30%. How many guys do you think have that? I don't have the answer, but I imagine it's a very short list of guys that have that many pitches that worked that well. I think there may be only a handful of guys whose results were as far away from how good the stuff and the underlying numbers were last season. The ERA was bad. The whip was bad. The record was trash. Everything on the back of the baseball card for Aaron Ashby looks awful. I do think it's fair to have some questions about how they're going to use him. Is he going to be used like a traditional starter from start to finish all season? It's it's worth asking. But I think he would also be a very high upside sort of player for me in this range. I'm actually surprised that he's not going closer to the likes of Cabrera and Detmers. And again, like maybe there's some concerns beyond workload that that you want to put out there, but I think people are overlooking him a little bit. I think this is where uh, the source of our ADP matters a lot. Uh, the source of our ADP, for anybody uh, who isn't sure of this, is the NFBC, which is the National uh, Baseball Championship. It's a fantasy baseball championship. It's a, a for-pay uh, you know, model where um, you have a 15-team league and it's not a keeper, right? And you have a very short bench. And so I think when you're talking about um, where someone goes uh, in that format, you're talking about, can I play him in the first three weeks? Especially when you're talking this late in the, in the, in the thing. And so my rankings do have a bias towards that format. Uh, more and more people are playing it. It's the highest stakes. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my rankings for sure don't say dynasty or keeper on them, right? So I, I have a bias towards who can help me now. You know, this is a redraft. These are redraft rankings. These are redraft conversations we're having unless we label them otherwise. Aaron Ashby as a keeper is very interesting. Uh, in keeper leagues with deeper benches, very interesting. In deeper leagues with deeper benches, very interesting. But in a more shallow league situation, I have to put him, I put him next to Hunter Brown, Luis Ortiz, Tyler Megill, Tanner Houck. These are guys who I really like the stuff but I don't know if they are starting the season in the rotation. And I think it matters because in the 80s, I have someone like Ryan Nelson or um, Kyle Bradish or even Corey Kluber or Graham Ashcraft. I, you know, I'm definitely not more excited about Corey Kluber than I am about Aaron Ashby. <laughs> Let me just put that out there. This is not this is not an Elo ranking. This is not a like Eno excitement ranking. You know, <laughs> like I'm not. Uh, uh, you know, I'm more excited about Aaron Ashby uh, than I am about Corey Kluber. 
But Corey Kluber's got a spot in the rotation. And that matters a lot to me in most formats. Uh, so I just want to put that clarification out there. Um, that as excited as I am about Aaron Ashby's stuff, I want to see some command. And then I'm just looking at the depth charts on Fangraphs. I see Burns, Woodruff, Lauer, Peralta, Miley. And right now, they're all healthy. Uh, there again is one of those things where he would zoom up into the low 70s, I think, even if I knew he had a job. I think I'm just projecting it in from the start, in part because I think Ashby's just a lot better than Wade Miley, and they could use Miley as more of a swingman and just let Ashby do his thing. It's interesting that you say that because there is a judgment call to be made there where how much risk you can take in could this guy just push his way into the rotation because I named somebody that I have in the 80s that might be a six starter, uh, but I love him as a sleeper. Hayden Wesnensky is somebody that I have in the 80s and not in the in the low hundreds where I have the six starters. Uh, it's Jameson Tyon, Marcus Stroman, Justin Steele, Kyle Hendricks, and Drew Smiley by Fangraphs ahead of, ahead of Hayden Wesnensky. But as you are sure that, you know, that, uh, that, that, that Ashby is going to probably overtake Miley if they're both healthy and, and dealing, I'm sure that Wesnensky can take the job from Drew Smiley. Uh, Drew Smiley's also had some, uh, some experience relieving, I guess. Is that, could you say the same? Yeah. Wade Miley's had some experience relieving. So you could push; they could push the veterans into kind of long, long relief uh, spot starting duty if uh, they had good springs. So uh, there is a, a huge subjective call there about you know depth charts are a huge source of. Uh, we could be looking at the same projections, but if I have a different depth chart situation, uh, you know I want to have different numbers. So that's you know shout out to. Uh, um, Rasball, who they have different depth charts than ones you'll find on Fangraphs. And they have the same projections, and so you could have different numbers at your disposal in a draft just by using the Rasball projections because they use their own playing time. Yeah, I also look at the Brewers, by the way, as a team that could use a six-man rotation for certain stretches if they want to. Like they, they might need to keep Peralta's innings under control. They might want to keep Ashby's innings under control. They've got designs on going to the postseason. So that's obviously a possibility. From like a sabermetric kind of like winning team winning strategy, I I think I agree that six man rotations are a bad idea. If you just think about it in terms of you're you're now asking your best starters to pitch less. Yeah, taking the ball away from Burns and Woodruff when you do that. Yeah, but there are modified six-man rotations that can make it work where um, you don't skip Burns and Woodruff, but you do push the other guys around. I mean, there are there are like there are capologists now in basketball. There are like schedulologists in uh, in baseball where there are people in the front office who all they're trying to do is manage the schedule, manage the options on their relievers, manage the ups and downs, the rest. And uh, so I think we might see some more. Like, for example, wasn't it interesting that on our last podcast was the first time that I realized that Clayton Kershaw was pitching like every six days? It's kind of funny. Like, I don't remember people talking about that. So uh, I think that they just sort of managed that without people really realizing it, using little skips and pushes and off days and stuff like that. 
So a lot of the other starters in this group have more job security. It seems like we both like Andrew Heaney a tick more than the market. I could also see him moving up a little bit in ADP because the per-inning projections are really good. And people are going to realize that his skills jump off the page. 35.5% K rate last year. There's always been a home run problem. That's probably never going to go away for Andrew Heaney. Could be mitigated by throwing the change up more. I mean, that's that's one thing that's keeping his overall line low is that uh, he's kind of uh, prone to platoon problems, and that's where the homers come from. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As far as guys that really underperformed that are going in this range, I think Alex Cobb was only a slight underperformer. It was really just the whip that was a problem at 130. Uh, Nathan Evaldi kind of fell apart later in the year, had a few blow-up starts that kind of changed the shape of his season, also lost a lot of time to injury. Do you see any rebound candidates here? The fastball didn't come back on Evaldi, so uh, again, that's another spring thing where I'd love to hear his fastball view in the spring. And and be careful again. Uh, touching ninety six, ninety seven, not necessarily good news. Well, it needs to be those longer Three innings, outings. Four innings, that. yeah, it needs to hold something good. Yeah, I do like Jamison Tyon in this cluster, just because the park is a pretty big upgrade for him as far as keeping the home run rate down, going from Yankee Stadium to Wrigley Field. So I think he fits really well. It's a lower K sort of profile, but it's control first. It kind of works for me. The Michaelis and and Merrill Kelly types are guys that I tend to avoid, but they fall enough where if you don't have to pay ADP for them, they can be sort of interesting if they're going three, four, five rounds later than where they can go. And Tyon is like a spruced up version of them. You know, lots of pitches has command, you know. Um, I just one of the things that I think is a little bit of a wild card is he has more stuff than the Kelly Michaelis types. Um. And two, he's leaving a really bad uh, stadium situation. So I'm I'm kind of interested to see what he does in Wrigley. It's particularly early in the season. I feel like cold Wrigley with maybe the wind blowing in, like he could have a really good start to the season. If he starts to blow up later, you can consult the stuff numbers, which are really good in, in season, or you can uh, start to manage him a little bit around those hot day games in Wrigley when the wind's blowing out. So, you know, you kind of have to... You may have to, he may not make it all the way through the season with you. And uh, frankly, this is the tier where you start to say, will this guy make it with me all the way through the season? Start looking at, uh, you know, like Frankie Montas, great. If you can stash him, not so great if you have to, you know, massage him uh, into the second month. So uh, Jameson Tyon, I think the schedule actually favors him with Wrigley being cold like that uh, early in the season. And 
we've seen just from Merrill Kelly and Miles Michaelis's recent seasons that uh, and Tyler Anderson, you can throw him in at, at, that these guys with lots of pitches and command do have up and down seasons. They're not they're not studs. They're not studs. Uh, studs have stuff and command. So, you know, with command being a little bit less sticky season season, if Michaelis is back or hamstring, I mean, he's had little things like that blow up on him before. Tyon's had two Tommy John surgeries. Um, you know, all these guys have had things that have bothered them in the past. Um, do you, do you like one much better than the rest? Kelly, Anderson, Michaelis, Tyon is, I guess, is it Tyon? Tyon's the one I've been drafting of, of that cluster. And the, the case for Michaelis for me is if he slides back 50 picks and I just need some innings, I can I can justify that. Good defensive team behind him most you days. Have not, you have them ranked well below ADP right now. I don't know if that's a, a soft ranking that may change. but Yeah, that's it takes, it takes a fall for both Kelly and Michaelis for me to become interested because I think you can get better skills. I'm willing to take on a little more risk and, and have that ceiling. Because I, they may not make it to the end of the season, right? Just, well, just take a guy. I Cobb think you actually can find, is in this group too. I think because of how much they've been discounted in the past, the the Michaelis profile and the Kelly profile, I think I could find that later. I could find that 100 picks later from somebody else. So why why pass on someone that I think is more interesting to just get the innings at cost? That's my general philosophy. Patrick Sandoval them. is actually secretly in this group too. So I wouldn't trust him as a big stuff guy that is definitely a stud. Sandoval is closer to being a guy that has multiple pitches and, and command uh, than anything. Stripling belongs in this conversation. Is he the one that falls the furthest? He goes out. He goes outside this group. Yeah, he goes closer to pick three hundred so far. But the park, I think, is going to is going to drive him up. Yeah, I think that's going to change over time. And really, um, I think you're well served with just bunching those guys. I think they're a good group. Do you know that uh, that that command uh, predicted innings per appearance better than stuff? I think that makes sense. Strider is someone who you're likely, even when he's going well, he might just do five innings because you don't know, you don't necessarily want to put a two-pitch guy in the sixth. High stuff, you know, high stress guy in the sixth, you know, or seventh. So, you know, I think um, these guys are pretty good for innings. Obviously, they've, they have different amounts of health problems and such and such, but I would put this group together, tie on, Kelly, Michaelis, Anderson, Stripling, and I'd like to get one. I would like to get one. I would like to pay less than everybody else and get one. A lot of these guys do slide a bit. You're talking about your fifth or sixth starting pitcher in many instances. I am curious if you're buying a rebound from either one of Jose Barrios or Trevor Rogers, because those are two guys that carried top 100 ADPs a year ago, and now they're outside the top 200. With Barrios, I don't really think there's a whole lot of job security concerns to begin the year. I guess you could look at Trevor Rogers and maybe tell yourself a story that the Marlins have some competition for some rotation spots. And if he's struggling, he could maybe get bounced from the rotation. But I mean, the, the Marlins have like Yuri Perez and, you know, like the Marlins. He's also, uh, I know this for a fact, um, being shot pretty hard, you know. Um, I guess that might be good news because that means other teams are interested in him. And uh, and may and if they trade if you traded for Trevor Rogers, I don't feel like you put him in in your bullpen, right? No, he's a starter for you if you're trading for him at, at this point in his career. 
So I know, I know that people uh, from different. I've heard from different organizations that uh, that they're looking at Trevor Rogers. So, um, and they're and, and honestly, they were checking my model, <laughs> asking what my model said. So um, I would like to say that Barrios and Rogers. Uh, have a, a little similarity actually in that the model said that nothing was wrong while uh you know it's that uh this is fine meme you're with right the, it's the dog with the in coffee. the coffee shop <laughs> yeah my, my model is like drinking the coffee and saying this is fine and everything's on fire around i mean uh, the the in the second half rogers trevor rogers fastball forcing uh forcing fastball stuff plus went up and his forcing fastball <laughs> it did not do well I, i'll get the numbers while i'm talking but um you know it, you know it wasn't uh, it wasn't doing well for him even though uh, and it even thought his slider stuff plus was getting better. And uh, let me see here. Last year, Trevor Rogers on his four seam fastball had a 303 batting average and a 546 slug, 12 homers. Youch! My model says it's fine. Uh, on on Barrios's, there's a little bit of this thing where he's a one elite pitcher, one elite pitch type guy, where the stuff plus looks good, and it's mostly because his curveball is rated really highly. His fastballs are not rated highly. So as I've been ranking, I've been putting fastball stuff plus as a separate column just to kind of get a sense, especially when I'm doing I'm doing relievers right now. It gives you a really good sense of like, oh, you know, Ryan Presley's overall stuff plus still great, right? Well, remember that whole like he was falling apart and the velo was dropping? Guess what? His fastball stuff plus is is the lowest of his tier, you know, when I when those come out. Uh, I think it'll probably be Monday, but we'll do a, a podcast tomorrow about them. Anyway, uh, Fastball Stuff Plus is important. Bar- Barrios' Fastball Stuff Plus is not amazing. And his command fell off a little bit on the pitch. So his, both these guys have seen their fastballs get hammered. They still have good secondary pitches, so I'm going to draft them. I, I'm I'm in on these guys, especially here in the fifth. But I like them a little bit more as um, upside guys I might drop quickly. I want to treat them as uh, bounce back upside, maybe like a Flaherty type, where it's like, if things are go well, like this guy could be a two, three for me. Yeah, I'm into that. I don't want, I want to pay five, six prices, and I would like to pay pair them with one of the guys we just talked about. You know? Yeah. How, how much sense does that make? You know, take a steady Eddie, who's at least going to give you some innings, and put them together with one of these volatile guys you might drop. So uh, I like a little bit of this, a little bit of that sort of approach to uh, to building a staff. And it kind of makes sense if you're looking at the ADP here to to take shots, different shots. If you take Aaron Ashby, uh, take Ross Stripling. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I think with, with Barrios, you're getting someone who will likely throw more innings than just about everybody who's going to go later. He's yeah, a he's an interesting guy because he's innings and upside, but... I have to tell you, if you're in an only league, that's a little rough. I mean, I did uh, <laughs> do well in labor last year with him as on that squad, but I had to swallow all whatever of those innings. I don't even want to look. I'm not looking. It was bad. It, <laughs> it, was, was, bad. it, was, it was If you had to leave him in the lineup, it was very, very yeah. bad. Uh, I think I am more likely to have Barrios than Rogers of the two, but... At the same time, I don't know if either of them is actually a must-get sort of player in this range. It seems just like an appropriate discount based on the seasons uh, that they just had. If you were into Rodgers, you could just take... I mean, it's it's a little difference in ADP. It's a difference of 30, so it's about a round. 
but if you like Edward Cabrera better, a round is worth it. You know what I mean? It's not we're not talking fifty picks or something. It's just a round. So yeah, if you don't like if you don't like if you don't like them as upside guys, then don't take them as innings guys. Right? <laughs> don't mm-hmm. don't put them in the in the Kelly t- uh, Michaelis grouping. The next cluster of fifty has a brewer that I'm not as high on. I, I don't think Eric Lauer is very safe at all. Even though the results last season were very good, I I just don't get it. The the zoom ball, as he calls it, the fastball in the middle of the strike zone. I don't know how it works. I don't know why hitters swing through it. I don't want to <laughs> bet on it. It scares me. It scares me from a fantasy perspective. It scares me from a rooting interest perspective. So I, I'm out on Lauer at that agree price. With you. The the models yeah. agree with you. Yep. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna. If if there's agreement between my gut, the projections, and the model, I am not gonna look at the results and go. Yeah, I'm going to dismiss all those other three things and just keep buying in. So there is a brewer that I don't like at Mark Price. His name is Eric Lauer. <laughs> we found him. <laughs> we found him. He's been revealed. Uh, this group is full of, of similar pitchers. I mean, Jose Urquidy. Well, hold on real quick. Just as we're laughing about you being uh, behind the market on a brewer, I'm behind the market on Jose Urquidy. <laughs> that's, that's a big development because that's really never been the case in the past you've always been up here i know here. i know and and all i can say is that over time the more someone accrues on the field uh results the less the uh the the model matters um i will say that uh, 342 innings of a 374 era and a 109 whip are not as bad as everyone makes them out to be however the lack of strikeouts strikeouts are a fantasy category and in terms of his projections, he's projected to be a dollar pitcher. Um, I, I, I think that's a little bit aggressive. We've got a guy who's never had a four as his first number in his ERA, and he's projected for a four four eight and a four six one. So there's something he does well. He's a. I think his best foot forward is the changeup, and that creates soft contact. And yet, you know, nobody's sort of giving him that Babbitt love. Um, I like I, I I actually am pretty close to ADP. I have what do I have him? I have him at seventy eighth, uh, and he's going seventy third. It's like I basically have him at ODP. So back to your scheduled conversation. I think he's more oatmeal than we hoped. That's all. And oatmeal works in this range. You want the right team context, you have it. But mostly, you're looking for something fun in here, aren't you? I mean. Yeah, pro- probably, depending on how much fun you had in the last couple tiers. You may need to make up for it. it. It's all about balance. It's all about making sure you've got the right combination of what you're looking for. Because Marcus Stroman goes in this range. He seems a little underdrafted to me. It's all the yeah. same things we were saying about Tyon. Like most of those things are true about Marcus Stroman, too. And, and here he is around pick 280. Yeah, and he's a multiple pitch guy with decent command and, you know, it's weird to say this about a guy who's been in the league that long, but there's still kind of little tweaks. There are still, I think, things he could figure out in using his pitch mix. Um, and I think there could be a, a great season in there. I think he just, I think he's secretly belongs in that kind of, uh, in that Michaelis Kelly uh, grouping, but he actually has a, a really good stuff number, Marcus Stroman. I think when I watch it, I believe it, right? Like, it, it's not something that doesn't fa- pass the sniff test. In fact, if I if I had never told you anything about the stuff plus model, if you just watch Marcus Stroman and Jose Urquidy, who do you think would have better stuff? Probably Stroman. Yeah, and he does, but 
by 0.1. Yeah, it's it's not it's not by much. <laughs> yeah. I think if I'm going to do uh, uh, something and, and feel sexy in this group, um, it's Michael Kopech, Roanzi Contreras. Uh, I, I just said that very white. I'm sorry, Roanzi Contreras. Is that better? I don't know. Uh, those two and maybe Tyler Malley. Uh, which you have to actually emphasize the whiteness when you say <laughs> mm-hmm. Mally, like rally, it says on the yeah. pronunciation guide. So um, uh, those three uh, just stick out for me in terms of, you know, having interesting arsenals, uh, the possibility for something we've never seen yet. Right. In terms of this whole group, maybe Bailey Ober, those are the those are the guys that could put together 150 innings of uh, number two, number three type stuff, uh, you know, in terms of results, and we haven't seen that yet. So those are the guys. That's where I would go in here because now we're talking close to your sixth starting pitcher and a bench guy who I just want to take a look at. You know, I want to take a look at him. Maybe the deeper the league goes, the more I go towards like a Stroman or a Tyler Anderson. But the shallower league goes, the more I want Contreras, maybe, most of all. Yeah, totally agree as far as who I'm taking those chances on structurally. 10 and 12 team leagues, I think you find, if you don't find Stroman himself, you find pitchers like him available on the wire. Last year, Miles Michaelis would have been available on the waiver wire at a 12 team league, right? You you can mm-hmm. get those guys early in the year. So if you're drafting early, take a chance. See what happens with some of the high ceiling starters if they break camp with regular rotation spots. We know innings are going to be managed carefully with a guy like Ronzi Contreras. Right? It's happened before. How the Pirates get from point A to point B with their innings this year is a true mystery to me. I know because of the, you know, I love Luis Ortiz, like I said, too many times and everyone's going to snipe on me. But he's on the outside looking in because they got Rich Hill and Vince Velazquez. But no one ever said they got Rich Hill and Vince Velazquez and put a period on the end of that sentence. Yeah, they're just done. They're they're totally set. No, here's here's what I like about Luis Ortiz, and this is something that kind of connects to what we were talking about at the end of the last episode with Grayson Rodriguez. Look at the workloads of young starters when you're deciding which ones you want to have on your roster at the beginning of the season and which ones you might want to wait until the previously named Fabapalooza to go get when they get called up in like late May. <laughs> Luis Ortiz, across all levels, threw 140 innings in 2022. That's plug and play. That's a guy that can start all year without really any hey, significant Ronzi's restrictions. Ronzi's not too far behind either. The the Pirates have been grooming these guys to be ready. Like, you know, Ronzi was uh, 130. Right. So last year might have been the frustrating year from a workload perspective. This year should be a lot better for, for those two guys. We're going to have a few other late pitchers that stand out too. And Rich Hill and Vince Velasquez may not even make it to opening day, honestly. Like, in terms of injury history, in terms of age for Rich Hill, in terms of Vince Velasquez was a reliever last year. So, as much as I thought those were good acquisitions, because every team needs to have, like, seven starting pitchers, um, I think Luis Ortiz... Like, I think Contreras is in the rotation to start the year, and if Ortiz isn't, he's up pretty soon. Who are the five pitchers that you want to learn the most about long term if you're them? I mean, Contreras, Ortiz, Keller is still in that group of five. And then if you don't have anyone else to begin the year, then you round it out with some combination of Velasquez and Hill and JT Brubaker is the extra guy. Or if someone gets yeah. hurt, that determines who the last spot 
actually and goes to. Is just very obviously could be uh, SPRP, you know? Mm-hmm. Like he's just... He also has poor command, you know, and maybe limiting his arsenal to two two pitches makes him a good reliever. He could actually be a good reliever. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, I still love Luis Ortiz. I love Contreras more. I think his rotation spot is more secured. Obviously, there's a command issue for Contreras. Um, and I think if I remember correctly, uh, did his fastball velocity fall off a little bit? I know... Ronson Contreras was a guy whose fastball velocity jumped pretty soon after that trade from the Yankees. I don't know if he then dipped back last season from where he had previously peaked, but that is worth exploring. He, yeah, he jumped enough yeah. where he could give up a little velo and still be okay. I think so too, uh, but it was fairly significant. Uh, he debuted uh, at 97.6 and he left at 94.2. Um I also think though that the uh, what they asked him to do was different. He when he debuted as 1.2 innings, and then he was doing three and three innings, and then he kind of did five 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 six. So, um, you know, that's part of it is he was asked to do more. I just also feel like uh, it's a little bit too young to just pencil him in for a 94. Even if he had a 94, I think his 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 stuff is he's a well-rounded arsenal, like a big arsenal of, of good pitches. I think he's probably fine. That is actually still above average velocity. Uh, but I would feel much better if uh, he started the season, at least, again, above 96. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. A question on behalf of Cubs Twitter. Why don't you like Justin Steele? Why don't you like Justin Steele? I asked you first. (laughs) Um, Well... Uh, 113 stuff plus slider, 91 stuff plus four seam, 62 stuff plus changeup. There's nothing else in the arsenal. It's just the slider. That's the problem. Yeah, it's just the slider. And people can get by with a slider, but this isn't necessarily an amazing slider. Uh, Tanner Scott had a better slider just around him. I'm looking. Julian Merriweather, Eric Uelman. I don't even know who that is. Uh, Clark Schmidt had a better slider. Uh, Ryan Thompson. 
I don't know. It's a it's a good but not elite slider. It's not like we got Corey Kluber out here, you know, making everything work off his slider. It's a good slider, and the rest is eh. Yeah, I um, projections I'm, don't I'm, I'm suggest out. that we're off that we're wrong either. You know, I'm just out on steel because I can find other pitchers I like that go in this range. There's two guys on new teams that go late in this cluster that I could see creeping up over the course of draft season. Zach Eflin, his projections are actually pretty good going from Philly to Tampa Bay. I realize he's had a lot of knee issues over the course of his career, so there is legitimate innings risk there. And it's not a a crazy high K profile, but we've talked about the possibility of a couple of adjustments he could make back when the Rays signed him. And the multiple year commitment they made to him was pretty surprising. So I tend to believe they see something in Zach Eflin they feel they can can elevate. And I'm willing to buy into that. I'm willing to, to buy in blind on improvements with him. But I'm also willing to do it with Noah Syndergaard. And it looks like you're a little more comfortable with Eflin at price than you are with Noah Syndergaard at price. To me, it looks like Syndergaard's someone you're staying away from right now. Uh, I, I think I was a little unfair to Syndergaard. Um, just looking, I have six starters ahead of him. Uh, guys I wouldn't, I, like, are almost on do not draft list for me. And I don't, I think that's a little aggressive. So I just, you know, just hand changed my rankings a little bit and put uh, Noah Syndergaard right next to Tyler Anderson. Uh, at the back end of the 90s. Uh, that's still not going to get me him in most leagues, but I do think he's basically the new Tyler Anderson, right? I mean, he's like literally now a pitcher with not as much stuff, but a lot of different pitches who's going to the Dodgers and maybe they have uh, some something for him. Uh, I will say that we redid uh, uh, the, the model to uh, tweaked it a little bit and his stuff plus dropped to 88. So it might be even worse than we think. Uh, on the other hand, Syndergaard has said publicly, I need to get back to where I once was and maybe he's more dedicated and maybe he can get that velo back. So, um, it's Tyler Anderson where Tyler Anderson also had a really great year for the Dodgers and Syndergaard could too. I just don't want to pay. There's a little bit still name brandish around him. I think. Like if I change his name to Tyler Anderson, he would, he would like he would go ten points ahead. But he's Tyler Anderson. Well, I think compared to where Tyler Anderson was being drafted last year, you were paying a little more for Cindergard. Tyler Anderson might have That's been a reserve pick in a mixed That's league. What I'm to say. You know, you're still drafting Cindergard as one of your last starting pitchers. But I also think because we'd seen previously really good levels from Cindergard, it's it's actually kind of justified. I think the reason. As you point out, the reason to be a little skeptical is that the fall off was significant. He he wasn't eighty five percent of the guy he used to be. He was like forty five percent of the guy he used to be in terms of the arsenal that he brought to the table. He lost a lot of velocity, so he needs to get at least some of that back if it's all going to come back together. Uh, it's just blind trust in the org, though. They've done it time and time again with with broken pitchers, guys much less talented than Cindergard, and they've been able to get really good results. So. I think it's a risk worth taking in this range because now you're talking about not only do you have guys in this this cluster who don't miss a lot of bats, you have little reason to think they've changed anything. At least with Cindergard, you know that he's kind of looking at this as uh, tear it down and start over sort of season. Right, right, yeah. Eflin, though, there's a little bit of a, a park factor thing that I like there. You know, going from Philly to Tampa, um, and um, you know, just his stuff was 97 instead of 87. So if, if I want a, a guy with lots of pitches going into a new situation, wouldn't I take the guy with the 97 stuff plus? Like, like, 
he could jump up to 103. Is Syndergaard going to jump from 87 to 103 stuff plus next year? Like, it would be one of the bigger stuff plus changes in my model in history. So, I like Eflin there uh, a little bit. And uh, although my ranking is very close to... Uh, I like your ranking, though. If I had Eflin at your ranking, he'd be right next to Merrill Kelly, which seems about right. And I think when you look at Kelly often going 50 picks earlier... That's why I'm passing on Kelly. I see Eflin. I see like, the floor is the same and the ceiling might be higher. So let me get the guy that might actually do more. Kelly, I think, is more of a, we know what we're going to get. It's, this is it. This is the, this is the best we're going to probably see from him. Uh, Michael Kopech goes in this range. You know, I, I don't know what to do with him. Health is a major question. It's just a big, it's just a big health dart. I, I, honestly, like with the stuff like that, I and mean, even that location is really bad location. I'm sure that was related to his knees. You know, I think he has bad. I think he has bad knees. I think it might be bone on bone, which uh, that's bad for someone Kopech's age, and it's not necessarily going to go away. Surgery on his right knee in October, right meniscus. I think the problem is that if the walk rate was that high, and the stuff is that good, the, the K rate has to be better. So I can't get past that. I know the results were okay, mid three ZRA, one nineteen WHIP. That's all fine, but. It kind of feels like he got lucky with the results based on just where the skills were at. And I that plus health, I'm not interested in that, even though there's plenty of talent there. Yeah, I am. I am, uh, mostly because I, I want to take him in leagues where I have an IL stash. I'd almost be rooting for him to take his time and I can put him on the IL and be doing other stuff and just and get a look at him before I activate him. I love that. That's like a Yahoo thing, by the way. I love to have guys on my IL that I'm just stashing there that I get, you know, a week of looking at them, you know, on the IL. It's illegal, kind of. It's it, it, It'll get you slapped in some circles. Yeah, don't, <laughs> don't do that in Tommy Pham's league. Oh, no. The I'm most ridiculous story. <laughs> it really is. But in any case, um, you know, in... in a little bit less likely in uh, NFPC type formats, but still kind of likely because uh, Kopech is kind of a fun name. I'd love to put on my bench, and then you know if the you know location stuff does take four hundred uh, pitches, four hundred pitches is only like four or five starts. So if three starts in, the location plus is bad, and the walks are bad. Via via con Dios, <laughs> Senor Kopech. I see the ceiling. I'm just going to take a chance on someone else's ceiling instead of Kopex for the skills and health risk combo that he is working through right now. The only other stuffs anywhere close to him in this uh, range are Rikidi, uh, Stroman, and Contreras. Uh, just, just, I would say take one of those. Yeah, I like Stroman and Contreras consistently ahead of Michael Kopech in his current form. Rikidi may be a little more of a toss-up, but I've got Rikidi ranked ahead of him too, so... Last of the cluster for me. If you go beyond the top 300, it's just dart throwing time. It really, it is. So I'll just open this up. No, no, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no. I thought you, I thought you were doing the no, Mick Jagger bit there. No, no. <laughs> I hate this tier. Oh my God. Shop outside of this tier. I got. I got two or three yeses in this tier. The whole thing. This is amazing. What is going on here? They're not using my rankings. 
<laughs> I got to put the names on on here because the random knows people don't know what order we're talking about. Martin Perez, yeah, that's a no for no. me. Carlos Carrasco, actually, mm, I, I said no, but that's a maybe for me. Uh, you know, you know who he is. He's a Tyler Anderson, Merrill Kelly type now, right? Which is so weird. Do you remember what he was when he first started out? Awesome. He was once he got but not good command. Oh yeah, he was no, like, but <laughs> he was like, like blow your doors off. You has no command guy, and now he's. Oh yeah, he's got a bunch of pitches and he can command them. I did, I did want to take up his uh, player for pitch real quick. He's still above average stuff plus on the changeup and the slider, uh, not by a ton, but by a little bit. Near average on the curveball. The four seam has really, really fallen off, uh, but he locates it well. Um, and the sinker is, is decent and he locates it well. So he in fact has four pitches he locates well and two pitches above average by stuff plus. That's enough to be a starting pitcher, man. And great team and park situation so yep that is one of the few things that i will I'll say yes to yeah i think you summed it up perfectly with carrasco cal quantrill still a no for me just sorry not enough in the tank i can't we we did we changed the model so that cutters were now lumped in with fastballs to see if we could uh so we can improve the lot of some people and graham ashcraft as an example did uh, take a big leap forward in the new model. He went from 89 stuff plus to 109 stuff plus when we l- l- lumped his uh, cutter in with his fastballs. Cal Quantrill, on the other hand, who does feature a uh, a, a nice uh, cutter, uh, went from 91 to 90. So I don't see anything in the model that I like, and I don't see anything in the projections that I like, and I don't see anything in the K minus BB numbers. They were uh, pretty pretty awful. This the worst in this tier even which is a bad tier. 10.5% uh, came out as BB is like, right now, is that like 5% below average, 6% below average? Yeah. I just, I can't imagine happening. And now, especially in a season where the shift rules are changing and there's especially going to be uh, pressure on people to get strikeouts. This is a poor pick at this point in the draft, I think. Taiwan Walker, I think, is just riskier now because he's not in the same environment as Carlos Carrasco. So I think it's fine as a, a depth situation pick, but I'm I'm not really seeking him out as a bargain. I'm a little worried about how it's going to work out for him in Philly. His good stuff plus numbers buoyed a little bit by a good split finger, which is a little bit rough because a you you can't command it, and b um, you know if the fastball ages a little bit, uh, Citizens Van Park. Aaron Savali showed us something with the K rate last year. Injuries kept him to just 97 innings, but 492 ERA, 119 whip. Pretty good underlying numbers. I kind of like the dart throw here. I know there's health risk, but we're out. We're after pick 300. Seems fine to me. Yeah, I need to look real quick. I wrote that uh, Savali uh, could do a better job optimizing his, uh, his pitch mix. Uh, midseason last year, and by the model, um, I said he should throw. What did I say he should throw? He should throw his uh, curveball more. Check uh, his cutter more than his slider. Check um, and his sinker more than his four seam. Check. What did he throw less of? Yeah, he threw his four seam last. So he did all those things in the second half. And do we have a quick split for this man? Um, 
we have, I'm sure we have a nice split on him. Uh, first half, 617 ERA. Second half, 335. So, I think he's optimizing his, his pitch mix better. And, um, I don't know. I think he's, a, he, you know, he's a, he's a, a, a big pitch mix guy. I, I like those guys late because there might be another tweak in there. You yeah. Know? Maybe yeah, he I figures out how to throw the cutter and the slider. I think that's really difficult. Uh, very few people have managed that. But um, nice park. Better uh, K minus BB than his uh, teammate by a long shot, almost double. Uh, better model numbers. Better projection than Quantrill. I'll take Savali. He's like one of the few that I have better than ADP in this range. Well, let's get some bad ratios bounce back candidates. Let me know if you're taking a flyer on any of these guys. Eduardo Rodriguez? Eh. <laughs> that sounds like a clear no. How about Steven Matz? Eh. That's a maybe more likely than Rodriguez, but probably still a no. Good skills. Only 48 innings, though, for Steven Matz. So it's just hard to put a lot of stock into it. Yeah. I, uh, if you gave me the same amount of innings from each, I'd take Matz. Uh, Adam Wainwright, can we do it one more time? Even though the K rate's really low, he, he was hilarious. Do you know? Do you know what his fastball was at the end of last year? Let me see here. Velocity or stuff? Velocity. He lost more velocity on his fastball than anybody else in baseball last year, which is kind of amazing because he didn't have much to begin with. So let's see here. I have to uncheck him so I get it here. He went from. 88. He peaked at 88.7. That's not great. <sighs> I mean, yes, I like him. He's still, he's he's another place where you look at the stuff plus, you go, oh, that's a nice stuff plus. It He has a 145 stuff plus curveball. <laughs> right? So that's really pushing his, his overall stuff plus up. And his, it's a really bad fastball. So if you have that fastball stuff plus column when you're making your rankings, he's not going to you're not going to push him too hard. I have him three above ADP. I think he's draftable. I think I would love to uh, put him on my team and see what the fastball velo was in spring or learn about the fastball velo in the spring. And, you know, if he's clearing, even if he's clearing 91 or 92, uh, I think he can make it work. Uh, so he may just throw as hard as he can uh, for as long as he can if it's his last season. So it, it, it's a maybe. It's a, you know, he's one of the, I think in this group, I have three guys uh, that are above ADP. Carrasco, Wesnensky, and Wainwright. You do have Wainwright. Savali. Barely, barely above. Savali, you get a little further above. Yes. Yeah. Wainwright's more just like, it's fine if you're just chasing some innings really late. But you're going to be careful about the usage. You're not just throwing him out there against anyone and everyone all the time. Because like, would you be throw rough. him in Atlanta beginning of the season without really knowing what where everything is? No. Does also, I mean... Savali's also moving up in my rankings a little bit. Not having Yachty behind the plate change anything for a guy like Wayne Wright, too, given mm. how much time they logged working together? Given that amazing Katie Wu piece, too, about, mm -hmm. you know, how much, how much they, how well they know each other. Yeah, and I, I think Wilson Contreras is fine in everything, but that's a just a very different thing for Wayne Wright to, to have, not having Yachty back there. All right. Young pitchers, rookies of interest going late. I actually think both of the young, three of the young Arizona starters are pretty interesting flyers. Brandon Fott, who didn't debut last year, I think is 
pretty fascinating. Ryan Nelson, who debuted last year and had some pretty good numbers in your model, goes very late, around a pick of 500. And even Dre Jameson, I think, is kind of intriguing. The problem is, this is a, this is a more challenging rotation to fit those guys into than you would expect. Because Zach Gallon's got a spot, Merrill Kelly's got a spot, Madison Bumgarner's got a spot. So maybe two of them get in. They also have Zach Davies there. As yeah, another that was veteran a holdover. Sign, a little bit of annoying signing there. I don't know how committed they really are to him or if that's just kind of early spring insurance. So as of now, if everyone's healthy, one of the young starters gets in and maybe one or two ends up in the bullpen if they don't option them back to AAA to stay stretched out. Uh, of the group, is there anyone that you think makes the most sense as a favorite to have that spot if it is in fact only one spot in the Diamondbacks rotation up for grabs? I'm probably biased by the Fangraphs depth charts, which have Ryan Nelson and my model, which likes Ryan Nelson the best. Uh, there is a Swiss flag next to him already. He ended the season with some shoulder inflammation. That may not be a big deal. It may be just, hey, you did a, you pitched, you pitched a good season, kid. You know, like, let's not push this. Um, the projections like Dre Jamison the best, which. I find interesting, although the strikeout rates for Ryan Nelson, Dre Jameson, and the walk rates are about the same. So I'm going to take Ryan Nelson. I really like, he has a fastball with a uh, a large amount of ride. Uh, oh, look at this. We've got a trade. And it's a starting pitch trade, so it is relevant. It is, in fact, even relevant to this tier that we are in. The Baltimore Orioles have acquired left-hander Cole Irvin at a trade with the Oakland A's. Infield prospect Daryl... Hernayez is headed back to the A's. Thank you very much. Uh, does that change much? Irvin is a guy I would have started at home in Oakland. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I wouldn't start him as much at home <laughs> in Baltimore. Camden Yards changed a lot, though, in yeah. last year with the adjustments. He's he's not an automatic home starter just because of the tougher matchups. It does maybe keep mm. uh, Grayson Rodriguez out of uh, the opening day rotation, but Grayson Rodriguez Gibson, is a Kramer, tough problem. Radish, Wells, Voth, and uh, Cole Irvin now. Yeah, I mean, it's again. John Means comes back probably mid-season. They've they've got a lot of depth, and eventually those young guys are all going to take over spots. But wow, Cole Irvin to the Ord. I think this is actually more interesting for the depth that Oakland has. You take Cole Irvin off of their depth chart. It yeah. opens the door for guys like Fujinami, Kyle Muller and I Ken Woldechuk. Was the was uh, the thing? I think they kind of uh, promised Fujinami a, 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 a shot in the rotation. So if you give Fujinami a spot and you give Blackburn a spot, now you've got two spots. Caprellian is out of options. So now you got three spots. Rusinski was signed to a major league deal. He could relieve, but that's four spots. Um, so Irvin would have been five, and you wouldn't have had any chance for Waldechuk, Muller. Sears or Adrian Martinez to make the team. You know what this uh, trade does for me? Hmm. Bump your Waldachucks. Yep, he's in this conversation as far as your rookie yes. pitchers going late that you and I just like. bumped him down because he was in my group of young pitchers that I like that have jobs, and I was like, he doesn't have a job, so I'm gonna bump him right back to where he was. And he's in the low 60s with Ryan Nelson, Michael Kopech, Edward Cabrera, Ryanza Contreras, Kyle Bradish, Graham Ashcraft, Hayden Wesneski. That's 
I just gave you all my sleepers. I just gave them away for free. Why did I do that? Yeah. You're a nice person. There's more in there. 123 and two-thirds innings. I think if I'm doing the math right on the fly, Waldachuk pitched for four different teams because he was traded and pitched at two AAA affiliates and then debuted in Oakland. So plenty of room for innings from him. We've seen good strikeout rates in the minors. We've seen an improving walk rate as he's advanced as well. If you like the, if you'll throw Cole Irvin against just about anybody in Oakland, you'll throw Ken Waldachuk against anybody in Oakland. I mean, that's um, that's a yeah. good group of skills that has a good bit of ceiling. You know, what? he reminds me a little bit of Hunter Brown, where uh, everyone said his command was really, really bad, and he comes up and puts up you know, near average to above average locations. I mean, a 98 location plus is not a problem. Edward Cabrera had a 94 and that might not sound like a big difference, but in location plus, that's a huge difference. We're talking 93 and 92 are like the bottom of location plus, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the spread isn't as large. Kopech 95, that's bad. David Peterson 94, that's bad. Um, You know, so, uh, you know, Ken Waldachuk 98, not that bad. Maybe he has a three seven walk rate or something. You know, it's not it's not undoable and good stuff and a, a large collection of pitches. Seemed pretty refined. Very nice guy when I talked to him. Seems like he's uh, dedicated to his craft. Uh, so I, I'm in on I'm in on Waldachuk, and I'm glad if you got the magazine. Uh, if you go get the magazine, you'll actually get the right Waldachuk. He went bounced down to 101 temporarily on my own <laughs> rankings. And now he's back into the 80s. Yeah, The Athletic made a fantasy baseball magazine for this draft season. So be sure to pick that up wherever you might see it available. How about Andrew Painter in Philadelphia? The back of that rotation, you got Nola Wheeler, Walker, Ranger is the first four. Bailey Falter, that's there's nothing guaranteed to falter as far as having a hold on that rotation spot. So if they think Andrew Painter is ready, maybe he's the guy. There'd be some management of the innings. If you look at the workload last year, it was 103 and two-thirds innings. For Painter, so you're probably looking at 140 or 150 with breaks with an eye toward the playoffs potentially too, or maybe a relief role in the playoffs. But the stuff could be really good. Unfortunately, I think uh, one of the easiest ways to manage innings like this is to also manage service time. It's just easier, right? What you do is you walk him slowly through spring training, and then you he's in the minor leagues, and you're like, nope, we still got to stretch him out. He hasn't made it all the way through. And so you have some three inning starts and, you know, for a little bit. And then you have some four inning starts for a little bit. And then, oh, a month has gone the season. Oh, he's passed whatever deadlines. He could still win rookie of the year, you know, uh, if we care about that. He can still help our team win. But Bailey Falter, oh, you know, you've been okay. Uh, you faltered a bit. <laughs> Sorry. And, I knew that uh, was coming. <laughs> and Painter uh, is one of these prospects that, Sometimes you talk to and they're like the the tone changes and it's like they, they get a little bit hushed. And, oh, yeah, he's a dude. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he might be a real dude. Uh, you know, I, I ask analysts, I ask scouts, I ask people around the team. They think he's going to get a real long uh, amount of playing time with this season with the team. And uh, he may even be worth trying to nurse along in an NFBC format where he's your final pitcher and you're just going to hold him there as long as you can and hope for some good news after two weeks. Hunter Brown goes more like the 250 range. A lot of these guys are well after 300. So what do you think about Hunter Brown's path to a rotation spot for the Astros? Yeah, 
I gave you my my capsule on you know with the Waldachuk kind of what I think of him. I you know great stuff, better locations than people think. I'm into him. He's a a virtual mechanics clone uh, for Justin Verlander. Unfortunately, they have five guys. They have five real guys in front of him. That means he will likely, I think, uh, six starters average seventy five to one hundred innings. Um, on the depth chart here, they only have fifty six for him. I think that's low. So 7,500 innings of really good work, and maybe he takes someone's job by uh, the second by the second half and into the playoffs. But it's not obvious who they would be if they, if that if that team is healthy. Whose job is he taking? Urquidy's. No, oh, you be yeah yeah it's Urquidy's. I think, but <laughs> Houston's six starters has been a, a great they place almost traded to him take last a chance. Year. They'll trade him again. <laughs> It's been a perfect spot to throw someone on your roster, see what could go right, and sometimes it happens pretty quickly in the beginning of the season where someone goes down with an injury. McCullers' injury history, right. unfortunately, is a pretty extensive one. So between Urquidy and how they use him in the postseason, McCullers' injury history, I think you can justify Hunter Brown, even though he goes a little earlier than some of these other names we're talking about because the situation is a good one if he lands I, in I it. I have a little mini grouping of of six starters i really like at around 100 and he's right in there the other prospects there's a couple couple groups there's yuri perez who you mentioned earlier and ricky tiedemann tiedemann might be the sixth starter significant innings concerns though not unlike grayson rodriguez but the good news is they go a lot later this is if you're going to take a chance on a guy that may only throw 110 regular season innings this year i'd at least wait as long as possible before throwing that dart the shape might be different right like you know the marlins if trevor rogers is hurt are gonna throw braxton garrett not yuri perez right yeah perez he's so so young he'll turn 20 in april there's so many reasons not to not to play him not to rush him not to anything you know so i don't know who's the other name yuri perez and Ricky Tiedemann. Uh, Tiedemann, I think Tiedemann's, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a situation there where Tiedemann could play his way onto this because the Kikuchi-White-Pearson section of that rotation, which actually starts with the fifth spot, is pretty soft. And and it, they could talk themselves into an Andrew Painter situation where they're like, we need someone to take this and run with it. You're right, though. 77, 78 innings last year. Yeah. How far can you push a guy like that? It, it's a question for him. It's also a question for D.L. Hall. I know the model really likes him in terms of stuff. There are some major questions Hates with locations. With locations, yeah. <laughs> so there could be some relief risk anyway. I kind of get the Matt Brash headed to the, rota- to the bullpen kind of vibe off him. I don't know. It's something would have to change, I think. I keep looking at Daniel Espino with these other low-inning guys. Only 18 and a third innings last year. He threw 91 and two-thirds innings back in 2021, so you're probably projecting a workload off of that. But the shape of his innings could be really frustrating. So I think a lot of these lower ceiling because for Cody innings... Morris could also just take those innings. Yeah, these guys are just so hard to have in redraft leagues outside of mono leagues because you may be waiting way too long. Yeah, I mean, the Guardians are just, we have so many guys, you know, and they may trade Plesak. There have been trade rumors around Plesak for a long time. Um, but uh, would just Cody Morris just take that? Or, you know, I don't even know who Connor Pilkington is that well. 
Uh, and he didn't have great minor league numbers, but I'm sure they could turn him into a 4-0-0 ERA guy. If you're the Guardians, there's no there's no reason why when you look at at Plesak especially, there's no reason why you have to start him if he stays in your organization. There's three or four candidates to pass him this year. Gavin Williams could be one. Joey Cantillo was really exciting in 60 innings last year in Double A. There's a I think there's a piece up about Joey Cantillo today actually on the on the Athletic. Tanner Bibby is a riser in that organization too. I just they have the Guardians have a lot of pitching. So even if you're not taking a chance on those guys on draft day in a mixed league, you're watching them very closely throughout spring training and the early part of the season. Yeah, and I'd rather you know t- I I just am a little bit more biased towards people where I at least have some pitches in the model because the the model's so strong even with small samples. So like a guy like Tyler Megill, I'd rather have right. He may be a six starter, but it's a veteran group uh, that is going to need spot starts or somebody could get hurt really easily. And the model, I already know the model loves him. You know what I mean? So I, I prefer to go hunting among players where I have something. Here's a, a weird name that doesn't fit anywhere, may not end up on my reliever thing, may not end up uh, as a starter. Who knows what's going on? But Matt Brash still deserves a mention. His fastball is only barely above average and that was in uh, with some relief innings or or mostly relief innings uh last year which is a little surprising but he is spending the offseason at driveline developing a cutter and i kind of feel like a cutter could really tie the room together there because he's got the elite kluber uh sweeper slider already uh that sort of the model really really loves He's got an okay fastball, and if he just throws, it's almost like Ottavino, where he like just needs to have something where if they start taking on the slider, he can throw something that looks a little bit like a slider but stays in the zone. And I think that's going to be really important for him. And I don't, you know, from the organization, it wasn't uh, a fait accompli that he would end up in the bullpen. But if he does end up in the bullpen, there is some opportunity there. Paul Seawald is behind and will not debut at the beginning of spring training. And and Andres Munoz may not even make opening day because he had knee surgery that nobody knows about. Yeah, not uh, not great. Don't forget the name Matt Brash. What about Tanner Houck? Tiki's maybe got a very, shot at that rotation in Boston. Very similar with Matt Brash that I like him kind of in DC's which are draft and hold type situations, because I think wherever he pitches, he has a large chance of, of taking an impact role. So that is a team where uh, the, the bottom two spots right now on the depth chart are James Paxton and Garrett Whitlock. James Paxton is almost like a who at this point. Uh, and Garrett Whitlock, another converted reliever. Then it goes Brian Bayo, who was okay, but you know he's, he's a rookie. And Tanner Houck. Uh, but also in the bullpen, uh, Kenley Jansen is the slowest reliever in baseball. He's going to have to get used to the clock. And maybe that manifests not in how things happen on the field, but maybe that manifests in an injury for Kenley Jansen. Um, and then, as much as I like John Schreiber, I think Tanner Houck would be in the mix to close. So a little bit of a very late uh, draft and hold type situation. Otherwise, a watch and see. We talked about the Orioles making that trade for Cole Irvin. Is there anybody that gets bumped out of the rotation mix that you liked? I've seen some recent Twitter hype from a few folks about Kyle Bradish. 
Pretty interesting stuff happening with him at the end of the year last year, making some adjustments. For me, the rotation to start the year is probably Gibson, Irvin, Bradish, Dean Kramer, and Voth. And then depending on the health of Tyler Wells, maybe he grabs a spot, and then eventually we see Grayson Rodriguez get that Put shot. Somebody out, yeah. That seems right. I guess, I guess Means, but Means is is so much further along that I I almost you can almost guarantee that somebody's going to be hurt by the time Means comes back. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. the numbers, right? Like, uh, uh, starting pitchers have a like a start with a forty percent IL chance. So you've got four starters ahead of them, five starters ahead of them. Like one's going to be on the injury list, right? Almost certainly, yeah. I think it could end up being Wells, Bradish, and Kramer fighting it out. Well, I guess with both, that's four four players are going to be fighting it out for three spots. And you and it's easy to sort of swim move past both, but he was really good for them in uh, a short in a short sample last year. Three oh four ERA in eighty three innings. He had uh, made some differences uh, in his uh, mix where he started. Uh, throwing a slider that he hadn't been throwing um, and throwing that at the same time as the cutter. Um, and he really reduced his fastball usage. Uh, and, um, you know, so I think uh, he is uh, an interesting player that my models have always kind of liked, Austin Both, And I wouldn't necessarily count him out uh, completely. So I, it's a good thing. Maybe Kramer, Brash, Wells, both. Maybe one gets hurt and they all make it. Um, Wells did finish the season with, uh, some injury to his shoulder. Uh, so that, uh, that he, I guess he would be the last among that group in terms of likelihood of innings. I like them. I like, there's something that I can tell myself that I like about all of them. The model really likes Wells. The model says that Radish's slider is amazing. I think you can see it. He's just, it's an elite slider that he's trying to figure out how to make everything work around it. Uh, Dean Kramer is just more kind of oatmeal-y, but you know, he's not terrible. Um, I guess I would say both is uh, the last of the four, if they're all healthy. Just to get back to a few more prospect names before we say goodbye, I realize there are some late pitchers we're just not going to get in this episode. It's impossible to put everyone we'll like in there. Deep, deep sleepers. Or like a know, Q&A or, or, something. or something. Yeah. I was wondering about Kyle Harrison before, and I think this was really early in draft season before Manaya and Stripling ended up in San Francisco. It seemed like they needed cutting, like they really needed Kyle Harrison prior to adding both of those guys. But when you consider Alex Wood, and Anthony Discafani, their injury histories coming off of season ending surgeries, no less, maybe there's a path for Harrison. It was 113 innings last year, reached double a was missing a ton of bats. I got to think if the giants have some designs on going to the postseason again, they expect Kyle Harrison to log at least some, if not a, a lot of innings in San Francisco this year. I agree. There's also some politics going on here, some internal pressure in the organization. They have started to feel, um, you know, inside and outside the Giants. There's been the feeling that the player development system has not uh, been clicking as well as they'd wanted. You know, they, you know, it's more obvious on the hitting side where, um, a lot of their top hitting prospects have taken steps back, but even on the pitching side, there have been sort of uh, rumors that things aren't going as well as possible. They lost Matt Daniels, who was a rising star in pitching circles uh, and was one of their, uh, I don't know exactly what his title was, director of pitching of some sort. He's in high demand, even though he left the Giants. So I think there's a lot of pressure on Kyle Haynes, who's the farm director there, um, to produce something of value this year. And so he's going to be pushing internally, I think, for Kyle Harrison 
uh, to get a lot of innings this year. And then just seeing from like, uh, hey, this is a, a team that could with like sort of averageish projections and a bunch of uh, Merrill Kelly, Tyler Anderson types in the mm-hmm. rotation. Um, could we could we maybe put a guy in here that could be a legit one too, along with Logan Webb, and get more mileage out of this team? Could is he one of the few young players that's ready for the big leagues who has star value? You know, could we just could we just do this? Could we just put him in there because we need something? So I think as the season goes on, more and more pressure to see him. And I would give him 75 to 100 innings this year in the major leagues, I think. Let's take a look at the Dodgers for a moment. They've got a couple of prospects moving through that system. Shocker. Gavin Stone and Bobby Miller are probably the two that are the most intriguing. We've talked about Ryan Pepio in the past as a guy that you just don't see it working out for because the control is not there. Um, if anyone in that rotation goes down, Kershaw, Urias, Gonsolin, May, Syndergaard, tons of injuries up and down that group, one or both of those younger guys should get an opportunity. So, do you have mixed league, deep mixed league interest in Stone or Miller, or are they still more mono league and draft and hold type players for you? I don't know. I was just looking at Stone versus Grove, Michael Grove, and uh, Stone scenes ahead not only by uh, where he's played, but uh, some killer, killer K minus BBs. Uh, last year in double uh, A AA and triple A combined, basically 35% strikeout rate and a 9% walk rate. That's not maybe amazing control, but that's amazing stuff. Uh, so I would expect his stuff plus numbers to be through the roof. And I don't see the same walk rate softness that I do with Pepio. Uh, the command grade from Fangrass was a 45-60. So uh, I do think Gavin Stone is one of the better names on this list. In terms of the depth chart, What I mean, you're talking about Kershaw at any moment. Uh, could go down for a month, uh, as he did last year. That's a huge opportunity because I think you'd rather not spot start your way through that. I think you call somebody up and say, you got a month, kid. Uh, so, uh, you know, in terms of injury, I think Urias uh, and May are in good spots in their careers and surgeries and stuff to to be okay. But even May, um, you know, maybe they don't push him very hard. So Syndergaard uh, is nearing the end of his Tommy John honeymoon <laughs> Um, and, uh, there's some possibility there. And then Gonsolin has been up and down. I think back injuries, uh, have been tough on Gonsolin. So there's a lot of opportunity here for innings. I, I give Grove an easy hundred innings this year. Am I wrong? No, sorry. Not Grove stone stone. Yeah. Yeah. He had 106. No, he had 131 last year. Yeah. So I think a bigger part of, of taking flyers on rookie pitchers comes down to cumulative injury risk in the organization with the starters ahead of them on top of their skills and, and their actual readiness. So your own bench depth in your league. Right. That's um, how that's long a really you can good point. carry them between those stints. Like if Gavin Stone comes up for three starts and then goes back down, can you manage to hold him till the next time? Or is he just back on the waivers? I think when the price is almost certainly going to be last three, last five rounds of a 30-team or 30-round 15-team You're hoping for a spring training injury. It's okay. Yeah, you're hoping for the early injury, and then you just got to let him go if he doesn't get that shot right away. In a draft and hold later on, you're like, hey, this guy's going to pitch some. You know, At some point, he'll be useful to me. Right. Stack up a group of guys like this and just hope that the timing works out. Some are up early. Some are up in the middle season. Some might be up later. I think that can definitely work. Um, Taj Bradley is the last name I wanted to get to today. 
because I would say the Rays also have some elevated injury risk. Glass now, having you know, come off of Tommy John surgery, might have less risk than Shane McClanahan in this moment. We did get some pushback that was, I think the Glass now uh, pushback online was was uh, warranted, and we should acknowledge it. And um, you know, one thing is, yes, he has a Tommy John honeymoon, uh, which usually lasts uh, sort of four, you know, three to four seasons. Um, but, uh, you know, he had other injuries, right? And this is a guy who's topped out at 130 innings. He did that twice uh, in the minor leagues, 111 in the major leagues. Um, so he's not somebody, maybe I was aggressive in giving him 140 innings. Um, but, uh, yes, you're right to mention that now. But but ahead of Bradley, you probably still have Yanni Chirinos, Luis Patino, and Josh Fleming. I wanted Luis Patino to be good for a long time. I'm finally starting to give up on that. I think Chirino, of the three, Yanni Chirinos is the, the one that I think they like as their glue guy. That's exactly what he'll be. But if there's a longer-term absence there, and it's certainly possible with this group, given McClanahan, Rasmussen, Eflin, and Glasnow, and stuff they've dealt with, I think Bradley could leap those kind of more ordinary depth guys because I'm not sure he's got anything left to prove in the minors. He made 12 starts last year at Durham. He was pretty young for the level, got good results there, 366 ERA, 119 whip, good control, had a little bit of a home run issue. So that's kind of the only short-term skills flaw I've seen, but I think he's basically ready as soon as they have an opportunity. And well-regarded in the industry and uh, somebody that uh, that teams were looking at in case they were going to trade. And, you know, definitely um, a name that is well-respected in the injuries in, in, in the industry. I don't have uh, stuff numbers in front of me. And I am a little bit nervous not only about the home run rate going up in the second time at AAA, but also the strikeout rate going down. Um, 59 innings with an 8K9. I want to know more. I think what we'll need to see is probably a consistent third pitch from Taj Bradley. I think once we get that, we could see that K rate tick up a little bit more. And that might be the thing he's focusing on this offseason through spring training into the early part of the year with a return to Durham as well. That's going to do it for the third episode of Pitcher Week. Questions are always welcome at Enoceris, at Derek Van Riper on Twitter, rates and barrels at theathletic.com. If you'd like to shoot us an email, I know there are veteran pitchers, young pitchers, lots of guys we still didn't get to. We'll try and get to those on future episodes yeah, of the show. Like a mailbag sleeper, you know, by request uh, episode. Yeah, I think there's room for that. Yeah, we could do like pitchers and hitters one week. Yeah, definitely doable. So be sure to send us questions if you'd like to get in on that. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for $2 a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Pitcher Week continues tomorrow as we come back with our closer preview. Thanks for listening. <laughs>